Father, we have come to the point in our worship service where we turn all of our attention and focus to Your Word. Lord, not to the the foolish ramblings of a preacher, Father, but to Your very Word that You inspired by Your Spirit that You have preserved over thousands of years and passed down for us to glean from what You have spoken. Lord, I pray that this morning, as I've prayed many mornings, Lord, God, push me out of Your way. Lord, I know that I'm not worthy. I'm not able. And God, unless Your Spirit shows up, unless You speak through Your Word, God, then there's no point in us even being here. So God, we ask that once again this week You would give us strength and encouragement that You would give us comfort and peace, but Lord, You would also challenge us and convict our hearts of where we have failed You, where we need repentance, where we need redemption, where we need a change in our own attitude. Lord, we submit completely now to Your Word and the truth contained in it. We ask that You would bless this time of reading, of teaching, of proclamation of Your Holy Word. We ask these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew once again. This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. If you don't have your own copy of the Bible, you are welcome to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please Take that Bible and keep it as your own personal Bible. We have others. We will replenish those that are in the pews. No worries there at all. If you don't have a a Bible that's in pages and, and ink, and you have it on an electronic device, you're welcome to look up that way. Or if you prefer to just follow along on the screens. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word As we look together now in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord tells us, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. 
But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we come to this passage this morning, Jesus is in another confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees. This is a pretty common theme throughout the Gospels. The scribes and the Pharisees pretty well hate Jesus and all of his teachings. And Jesus pretty well turns them on their head every time they have a confrontation. So it's very safe to assume, and most scholars accept, that because of the interactions that Jesus has had with these scribes and Pharisees, in the chapters we've already looked at, in the chapters preceding this event and this encounter, it's more than likely that they went and got some higher-up Pharisees, some higher-up scribes. These are not your low-level henchmen. These are maybe a, a bit more, maybe like middle management. So what I want you to consider this morning is it's very hard for us to get through some of the terse language that's there. It's talking about vows and mothers and fathers and honoring your mother and father and what's given to them is counted as null and void and, and now we're not honoring our mother and father. It's, it's a very strange interaction that's hard for us to relate to. So I have a teacher for a wife, okay? And so it's easy for me to relate to situations at school. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this story of what Jesus does with the Pharisees and we're going to apply it to a principal at school, all right? So the principal is the highest up, so we're not going to say the principal is the one in this encounter. We'll say the assistant principal, all right? This may be a false accusation, but the assistant principal is somewhat like middle management, all right? You're not at the top of the food chain just yet. The buck does not completely stop with you, but you're definitely a step above the teachers, okay? So now... In the elementary school at Andalusia, I frequent and visit my children from time to time. And what I see often is when the kids move throughout the hall, they are up against the wall. I mean, like slammed up against this wall in a perfectly straight line walking down the hall. All right. And they do this because on the other side of the hallway, there's a a perfectly straight line going in the opposite direction. And I mean, we're talking all the way up against the wall here, okay? If people were up against the wall, you're bumping into them, you're pushing them over, you're having a hard time because you're even grinding up against that wall. So I want you to imagine that situation in the elementary school. There's wide hallways. It's, It's wider than this here. Imagine that there's a substitute teacher that comes in one morning, and they don't quite understand all of the rules, but they see these straight lines. They see that it is effective and helpful for hallway management. But they just don't do a single file line. They do two by two. So, you guys right here, y'all are up. Stand up for me. Okay, come around. We're going to go down the center aisle so everybody can see. All right, can you form two straight lines? All right, one after the other. Boom. Now, next straight line up here, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Boom, boom, boom. Now, please go down the hallway. It's at level zero, quiet. All right. Now, there's still room over here. I can still walk. Somebody could still come this way. But it's not the exact rule. All right? 
The hallways are wider than this at the school. That could work. Thank you so much for the demonstration, guys. Y'all can go back to your seat. Applause for them walking in a straight line. All right. If that were a sobriety test this morning, the teenagers have passed. Okay. So it is functional. It works, but it's not it's not the rule. It's not the rule that the principal set. So the assistant principal comes marching through the hall. I don't know why, but assistant principals in my mind walk like this sometimes. Okay. This is just scowl on their face, ready to get somebody. And they pull that substitute teacher aside and they go, hey, around here, we walk in one single file line. Why are you letting your kids go in rows of two? And that substitute teacher looks back at the assistant principal and says, well, I didn't quite think it was necessary for everybody to be in one single file line. But if I could pose a question to you, how come you are on the golf course three days a week during school hours? Oh, yeah. that's a little bit bigger of an issue than how many lines we have in the hallway, right? If the assistant principal really is on the golf course three days out of the week during school hours, that's a pretty big problem. That assistant principal shouldn't have that position anymore. And if the superintendent were made aware of this, it would be a very big problem, right? This is what happens with Jesus. Jesus is like a substitute teacher who shows up on the scene who's got the right information. And these teachers of the law think they've got everything figured out. And they've had this oral tradition that they've passed down. This isn't in the bylaws. This isn't in the school handbook. They just know that the hallways move smoother when it's one single file line on one wall and one single file line on the other wall. Yes, it's functional. Yes, it works well. But it's not absolutely essential to everything that happens at school. And so Jesus shows up and he goes, you guys have missed the entire point. And not only that, but in front of a large crowd, he has thrown an indictment out against the middle management of the scribes and Pharisees that would be as scandalous as if a substitute teacher correctly called out an assistant principal for being on the golf course three days of the week during school hours and not at their post. You see, because God said, honor your mother and your father It's part of the Ten Commandments. It is written and passed down. You can find it in multiple places in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, you've added this oral tradition, these extra layers of difficulty to get to God that have to do with washing your hands and outward cleanliness. And in the process, you've also obscured the actual law of God. So if if you were to make a promise to your friend, hey man... I know that you haven't been feeling well. I'm going to come help you cut your grass. And all of a sudden, your mother or your father fell ill. The Pharisees would say that you don't have to go and take care of your mother and father. You can just continue on with your promise. Because you made an oath. You made a vow to go and help your friend with their yard. So you have to continue with that oath or that vow and let your parents fend for themselves. This is an added-on oral tradition that was not written down and codified. This is what they added to the law. Then they took it and put it above the word of the Lord. God says, honor your mother and father. The correct order is, hey man, I can't come help you with your yard because my mom and dad have fallen ill and I've got to go take care of them because the Ten Commandments tell me to honor my mother and my father. And this is how I need to do that. So Jesus is calling out the Pharisees 
in a correct way. And it embarrasses the Pharisees severely. To the same extent, I would argue, as the assistant principal would have been embarrassed, being called out in front of all the students in the school in the hallway in that time. And so that's why when we continue to read through here and look, the disciples look at Jesus and they're bum-fuzzled. They are, they're just taken aback. They go, uh, 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 Jesus, did, did you know that you just really offended the Pharisees? Like the middle management Pharisees. Do, do you know what you just did? Man, Jesus responds with some very harsh words that are still very true, but they just break your heart. Jesus says, every plant that's not been planted by my Father will be uprooted and tossed out. Jesus says not only have they put their traditions above the Word of the Lord, but they've done so so consistently that they actually aren't even rooted and planted in my Father. And when the time comes, they'll be uprooted and thrown out. He says, but, but it's the Pharisees. Isn't that, a, isn't that a big deal? Shouldn't we be really worried about them? And Jesus responds again and says, hey, guys, don't worry about it. They are blind guides. It is blind leading the blind. You don't have to worry about them because they're both going to fall into a pit. And so Peter, I just love Peter. Peter's so relatable, right? You and I can, we can relate easily with Peter because he just kind of says what he's thinking. And he goes, hey, Jesus, man, that's great stuff. I love it. Could you kind of run us by what that means again? And Jesus goes, Peter, man, how long we've been together, brother? How long you've been listening to my parables and you still don't get it? You're still not with me. It's okay. Don't worry. I'll, I'll run it down for you again. And then Jesus gets to the heart of this teaching. Look, look with me again. He says, explain the parable to us in verse 15. And then Jesus says, are, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts like murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus is taking the focus away from the laws about hygiene to the laws about our heart. You see, there's a lot of laws in the Levitical law. 613 and then the oral tradition on top of that. So when you look at all these laws, there's some that have to do with our right standing before God. There are sin offerings. I have sinned before the Lord, and I must make atonement for my sin. And that's one way of being clean. Another way of being clean is to be ritually clean. That just means hygienic. All right? The Levitical priests were instructed to wash your hands before you go through with some of these sacrifices. You can look this up in Leviticus, all right? You have to wash your hands before you begin, and your feet. But the Pharisees took that so far that they said, well, we don't want anybody to be unclean before the Lord, and they misunderstood. They didn't want anybody to be out of right standing with the Lord. They wanted nobody to be ritually unclean. So, folks, I promise, when I, when I prayed and I set out, here's what our sermon series will be. I had no idea the coronavirus would be as rampant as it is right now. Okay. No idea. 
absolutely no idea that everybody and their brother will be talking about washing their hands this week on the Internet. And now here we are dealing with whether or not we should wash our hands. Let me just remind you, this passage is not about whether or not you should wash your hands before you eat. Let me answer that for you. Yes, wash your hands. Okay? Stop giving people handshakes. Give them like a fist bump. Okay? Be just a little bit more germ conscious. It is flu season sort of still. Coronavirus is going all over the world. Be a little bit more germ conscious. Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about what defiles us in our heart and in our souls before God. Not talking about hygiene. He's talking about right standing before God. You could wash your hands all day, every day. But if there is sin in our hearts, there's no amount of hand washing that's going to make us right before the Lord. You can't just scrub that sin off of you. If you've ever gotten blood on your hands from hunting or or from dealing with somebody who's wounded, you know it's hard to scrub that blood off. It does take multiple times of washing your hands, using special chemicals to get that blood off. And I promise you there is a blood stain that is, that is on our hearts from our sin. But it doesn't matter how many showers we take. We can't wash that away. Jesus is trying to refocus us that it's not about just checking boxes and doing what looks religious on the outside. It's about getting a new heart on the inside. Because you guys, we've got to understand something. Without Jesus, we would be completely depraved. Without Jesus, we would all be filled with lust and perversion. We'd be liars and thieves and adulterers. We would be awful people. Without Jesus, I would be lost. Without Jesus, I would be hopeless. Without Jesus, I've got nothing. But because of Jesus... I get a new heart. And it's not just that my hands are washed and my hands are clean. It's that my heart wants different things now. It's that the things that were in my heart have been swiped away clean. And now my heart doesn't long for sexual immorality. My heart doesn't long for slander and adultery. My heart doesn't long for lies. My heart longs for the truth. My heart longs to be in the will of God because God did a work in me. And it's not just about, let me come to church a lot. Let me look like the right kind of Christian. It's about we need a new heart. Church, I don't know about you, but I even go so far as every morning. I need for God to restore the joy of my salvation, to renew a right spirit in me Daily, I need for Him to come in and transform my wants, transform my desires, so that it's not about, let me go to my office and be a pastor, because that's my job. It's about, let me be a follower of Jesus today. God, change my heart so that my heart doesn't want these things that you list. That my heart is not focused on hatred and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander, but that my heart is focused on loving you, God. Serving your church, Lord. Building up my brothers and my sisters. Loving you with all that I have and loving others as I love myself. And I need that renewal, that refreshing every single day. Because if you ask me, it's so easy for it to become about checking a box. About, okay, I did my quiet time this morning. All right, I said a little prayer for somebody here. Ooh, I went to the hospital and made a visit. Boom, that's a a good spiritual thing to do. Jesus is going to be happy with me. I'm doing all the right activities. That's where the Pharisees started. Let's just do all the right things. 
And if we just do all the right things, we'll be in right standing with God. But it's not about that. It's about our heart. And folks, our hearts are wretched. God looks at our hearts. And even within ourselves, even those of us that call ourselves Christians, I don't know about you, but so many times I'm not looking at other people's heart. I'm looking at how clean their hands are. I'm like the Pharisees. I'm I'm caught up in their outward appearance. I'm caught up on, well, did they wash their hands before they ate? Jesus, your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. Folks, I'm one of those Pharisees. Well, that person doesn't look like a Christian. That person doesn't look like the people that we normally hang around with that call ourselves Christians. Those people have weird piercings and weird tattoos and mohawks for hair. And they wear leather and they're bikers and they're this and they're that. They hang out in those places and they hang out with these people. And that's not what Christians look like. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle. Man, Samuel, the prophet who heard the voice of the Lord, struggled in the same way. Samuel struggled very similarly to these Pharisees. If you'll remember, God told Samuel to to get up and go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and to anoint one of his sons, but God didn't tell Samuel which one. But God did speak to Samuel. We're not talking about, I read my Bible and I heard the words of the Lord by reading my Bible and the Spirit moving upon me. We're talking about Samuel heard God's voice. Samuel, get up. Go over here. Talk to Jesse. See his sons. Anoint one as the king. This is a man who is perfectly in tune with what God has for him because he hears God's voice perfectly and follows the commands directly. He shows up. He sees the first son. He goes, surely, God, look at this guy. Look at this guy right here. He's tall. He's handsome. He's trim. He's got, man, he's got muscles upon muscles. This is the guy. He's the oldest son. This is the one you sent me to anoint, correct? And God goes, oh, no, no, not really. Look at the next one. Why do you think that God made Samuel go through every one of the sons until there weren't any more? Until they had to call for David from out in the field with the sheep and had to ask David to come in because he wanted to drill into Samuel and record it so that it would be drilled into us that God doesn't look on the outward appearance of a person. God looks at our heart. But you and I, maybe maybe you're not in the same boat as me. But folks, it's hard for me not to look at somebody's outward appearance and jump to a conclusion immediately about the condition of their heart based on the look of their face, based on the color of their skin, based on how big, how tall, how fat, how skinny, how short, whether they're a guy, whether they're a girl, who they're hanging out with, where they're going, what's going on in their life. I want to look at somebody and immediately assume this is who they are. I want to look at their hands and say, whoo. They don't wash their hands before they're eating. What's wrong with them? And Jesus says, not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, Nathan. It's those very thoughts from within your own heart that defile you. Now folks, don't, don't take this as Jesus saying you can eat anything you want to eat and that you ain't got to take care of your body. Alright? That's the wrong interpretation. Jesus is talking about checking a box outward Look like you're holy versus inward being holy. All right? I'm still responsible to not be a glutton. 
It does matter what I put in my body. But gluttony is a desire from my heart that causes me to put too much in my mouth. And that defiles me. Not what goes in my mouth. Do you see the difference? I know it's subtle, but it's absolutely essential. And folks, I think there's some of us that have spent our whole lives following Jesus, doing the church thing, pretending like we got it all together, and our heart is still rock solid. We get caught up in all of our pre-made traditions. When do we do the announcements? When is the offering passed? What kind of music are we playing? We go to church. We get involved in church. We get all up in arms about the traditions within the church. And ain't a one of them written down in this book. This Bible doesn't tell me when we're supposed to take up the offering or what songs we're supposed to sing or the style of music or the kind of clothes to wear. But we add our pre-made traditions to it and then we start excluding people based on whether or not they've washed their hands before they ate. And we couldn't care less what's going on in their heart. And all that does for us is show that our hearts are hard as rock. And we need to go before the Lord and say, God, I need a new heart. I need a clean slate, Jesus. And you know what the most amazing thing is? There's never been a Pharisee or a disciple or a sinner too sinful for God to give a new heart. He's willing to give a new heart to anybody and everybody, whether you're a drug addict or whether you're a Pharisee or whether you're both. God can give everybody a new heart. Look at what he does with Peter. Just one more time with me. Peter's been with him for years. This is the epitome of us. We should know better. We've been reading this passage. Many of you guys probably have this passage memorized. But I still come to this passage and I go, Okay, Jesus, what you mean this time? What are you trying to say to me? And here's Peter and he goes, Hey, Jesus, man, that sure was a great parable. Gosh. I just loved it. I, it's just moving in my heart. I ain't got a clue what it means, though. <laughs> you think maybe you could just help me out just a little bit? Tell me, tell me what it means. Just Come on, just one more time. And Jesus goes, Good gracious, Peter! How can you not get the parables yet? But then what does He do? He explains it. You're never too stupid for Jesus. Right here. God will always be patient with us. God will explain it again. Now listen, he may go, seriously, you don't get it? Come on, Clayton. Really? By now, you should have it down, brother. He may may do a little bit of that. But then he's going to follow up with, here's what it means. Here's what you need to know. I'm still here for you. I still got you. And I promise you, no matter how long you've been in church or out of church, if you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, my heart, cold as ice. My heart is hard as stone. And nothing moves me anymore. And I don't don't even look for people's hearts. All I care about is what's on the outside. How good they look, how dressed up they are, how put together they are. I don't have any concept of a Christian who might be an impoverished Christian. I don't have any concept of a Christian who might be a true Christian who's a Syrian refugee on the other side of the world suffering for their faith. I have a concept of unless you are Caucasian, middle class, coming in this society, in this category, making this amount of money, then you must not really be a Christian or you must not really be following Jesus. And I'm judging everybody by that, Lord. I need a new I need a 
new heart. And folks, His mercy is new every morning. So whether you've prayed this prayer a zillion times in your life, or whether you've never prayed it before, you can go to God and say, God, I need your mercy. I need a new heart. I need to look at people's hearts and not look on the outside and see what's the shell, but see what's at the core. Jesus said that the Pharisees, who all they did was look on the outside, all they did was care about whether hands were washed, had not been planted by the Father. And that there would come a day when all those that were not planted by the Father would be pulled up, root and all, and cast away. Folks, it's not hard to be planted by the Father. Just ask Jesus to plant you in His Word. Plant you in His righteousness. Change your heart. It's not hard for me to be planted by God. You just ask Him. I just got to ask Him. I just got to seek Him. And God will be ready and willing and able. It's possible God's already stirring in your heart right now. Folks, I'm begging you. If you feel the Lord stirring in your heart, don't harden your heart today. Don't let your heart get cold again. Don't go back to that place where you start analyzing how sweaty I am and how fat I am. Hear the word of the Lord. Don't miss it. We need a new heart. Especially if you've never surrendered to Christ. This morning, whether you're old or young, whether you've been here for decades or days, would you surrender to the Lord? Would you ask for a new heart? Would you join me in seeking out the Lord to say, soften my heart, Father, that I may look to what's on the inside and not whether somebody has washed their hands. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Father, we love you so very much. God, we ask this morning for clean hearts. Not just clean hands, Lord, but clean hearts. Lord, that we would sacrifice our preferences and our judgments to the way that you see the world. We would stop seeing the worst in people, but Lord, that we would look to see whether you are in their hearts. God, would you forgive us of our sins? Forgive us of our unrighteousness. Help us to run wholeheartedly towards you. Lord, help us to respond to your word this morning with courage and boldness. We ask these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.